You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome uh, to Mercy House. Uh, we've got a few burly guys back here that were on the Burly Man Retreat. Uh, we had a great, great weekend. Uh, evidently, the women had a great day yesterday, Mug and Muffin, connecting and hearing uh, from God's Word. So it's been a big, big weekend for our church. And uh, I think that weekend is continuing into Sunday. If you want to, you can go ahead and grab a Bible there on the floor, or maybe you brought your Bible, or you're looking at the Bible on your phone, but you'll, you'll want to follow along with me in Acts chapter 2. We've been talking about Acts uh, in our sermon series this semester, and looking at, uh, so far, about really who the church is, and we've been saying it's a, a father-initiated, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, witnessing community to the nations, and now we're shifting to what does the church do? All right, so we talked about who, who the church is, and today what does the church do? And again, immediately we see that the church is a witnessing community. This is really the first thing that it does, and we see the fruit of that in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, which is a few verses before the ones that we just heard read, where it says, With many other words, he, talking about Peter, bore witness there's the witness word, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Not bad for a first sermon. I've heard some first sermons. They're not always that fruitful. Uh, but this one was, was gospel-centered. It was spirit-empowered. And in that moment, 3,000 people responded to that gospel preaching uh, in, in saving faith. And this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. At, back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that witness will not just be in Jerusalem and Judea, which is kind of your hood that, that you, you, you feel comfortable in, but it's going to be in Samaria with folks that you're not comfortable with. It's even going to be to the end of the earth where you don't even know exists yet. And so this, this witnessing uh, community is seeing, immediately they're seeing this fruit of people coming uh, to Christ. Uh, that's not where it stops. The, the apostles don't get on a bus and then go to the next town and have a, a preaching crusade and, and see some more people come to Christ and then get on another bus and go to another town. This Acts 1-8 mission yields these new Christian converts that then are gathered in an Acts 2 community. And so this is what we want to look at today, both the, the practice of the mission and the practice of the community and the fruit of those practices. Right? And again, these are ancient practices that have been practiced by the church for 2,000 years. They look different. Right? They, they're in a different cultural context, they use different languages, but at their core, these practices have been devoted to for 2,000 years. So let's look at those practices, and then let's look at the fruit of those practices from Acts chapter 2. So I've already mentioned the first practice, and that's mission. That's mission. If you don't have mission, you don't have a church. If, if you're not on the mission to... to demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, and seeing people come to faith in Christ and, and, and join into that 
fellowship, you do not have a church. I know a little bit about what that feels like. When we came here in 1999, we started this church pretty much from scratch. It was the Crumrye family and the Green family. And if no one was going to be reached, it really wasn't going to be a church. It's just going to be two families kind of hanging out, talking about Jesus, right? And that's a good thing. But it wouldn't be a church. And so we had to be on mission. And so we're like setting up tables on campuses. We're going door to door and giving, you know, free gifts and talking to people about the church plant. We're, we're, we're doing some advertising. We're engaging, uh, you know, the clerk at the store and the neighbor. And we're, we're, we're looking, where, God, where are you working in people's lives, in people that want to become a Christian people? You're already prepared. Right? And it was that mission that then gathered people into the Acts 2 uh, community. Whenever I'm talking to church planters, some questions that I always ask them about their church plant, I say, do you have any new Christians that have just come to faith in your church? Or have you baptized anybody since you've started the church plant? Or is there anyone coming to your services that are not yet Christians but are interested and they're seeking and asking questions? And if the answer to those three questions is no, 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 I'm pretty certain that that church plant is not going to make it. That that church plant is really a bunch of Christians who like to get together and kind of do their thing, but they're not really on mission. It's true of established churches as well. It takes some more time because they're a little more established. But if, if people are not being reached with the gospel, they're not baptizing new converts, if, if there's not folks in the mix that are considering the gospel, becoming Christians, that church will die. I think Mercy House, if, if we weren't on mission, we'd die in about four years. Partly because a lot of folks that come in, which a lot of you are, are students, grad students, you, you're here for a temporary time, you get your degree, we send you out. So if we don't reach a whole bunch of people every September, this church dies. Right? Uh, it, it's, it's somewhat true about those that are permanent residents. But there's, there's a lot of transients in even the permanent residents that live here. Job changes, just kind of the nature of modern life right now. And so if, if we are not consistently on mission and reaching new people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the, church, the church dies. I think that's actually good for us. Because the tendency of people, once they feel like they've reached enough people, is, is sort of like close the doors and, and get really tight-knit and not really think about those who are without the gospel. But we really don't have that option. We've got to keep our doors open. We've got to keep our arms open to new people so that they can hear the gospel, come to faith, and be gathered in to our fellowship. Part of that mission was to baptize those new converts. We notice in Acts 2 that when, when 3,000 are saved, they baptize them. Now, why did they do that? They did that because Jesus told them to do that. Matthew 28, uh, we read this. In verse 19, go therefore make disciples, so Christ followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he makes it clear, part of what you do when you have a new Christ follower, one who has heard the gospel, responded with saving faith, is you baptize them. Now why would he say that? Why would he say you need to get these people wet? That kind of strange. Like, what, what is that about? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one is that it reenacts the gospel that they are believing in, and it exemplifies the life change that's occurred because of or through their belief in the gospel. 
It reenacts the actual gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you've seen us do baptisms. We take the person, we take them under the water, we hold them down there under the water for a couple of minutes. No. Depends on who it is, but but a a second or two, pull them back out of the water. Why are we doing that? Because they're reenacting the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And they're saying literally with their bodies, I believe this gospel. They're professing that faith. They're also professing that they have experienced a death to their old life and a raising by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead of a new life. That's being reenacted as well. You hear this in places like Romans chapter 6 where Paul says this, verse 4, we, are, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So you see how he's intertwining both the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the death, burial, resurrection of the person who's believing in Jesus. And that's what's being portrayed in the baptism by immersion. Now, the second reason I really think that uh, he asked the church to do this is that it, it pushes us into community. Right? So those, those new converts in Acts, they've heard the gospel from Peter. They've, they've responded in faith. God has saved them. And then they don't just say, oh, that was nice. Now I'm going to go home and I'm going to have Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And I'm going to listen to podcasts and worship music. And I'm never going to be in, in gospel community. No, they, that's not what they do. They get baptized. And in order to get baptized, you've got to go also join Jesus' church. So those who join Jesus join his church, the local expression of his church. Uh, You cannot baptize yourself. I don't know if you noticed that. I know when my daughter Kayla was a little girl and she was hearing the gospel, she was really responding to the gospel, seeming to understand the gospel, and she was like, I'm ready to get baptized. And we were not quite sure if maybe she was old enough to do that. And, and so we kind of held her off and was like, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. And so we would catch her baptizing herself in the bathtub. <laughs> Hashtag pastor's kit, okay? <laughs> None of those baptisms counted, okay? You cannot baptize yourself. You have to be baptized by another brother or sister in Christ, i.e. the church. And so it's a way for Jesus to say, yes, absolutely, I've saved you as an individual. I love you. I've reconciled you to myself. But I've also reconciled you to your other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now go join the local expression of my church. Some of you, you've joined Jesus, but you've never really joined his church. I mean, you kind of slip in here, slip out of here, and and you've never said, you know what, I'm devoting myself to this place. I'm going to pour myself into this. Not because it's going to add value to my life, right? We don't want to approach it like a consumer. We want to approach it as one who is obeying King Jesus. And King Jesus wants you to join your life to the local church. And sort of the organizational apparatus that we use to facilitate that is called membership. And you're not going to find the word membership in, in your Bible, but conceptually, 
You see this, this devotion to a fellowship, to a local fellowship. And so I want to encourage you, even if, if you're a student, you're like, I have a home church, I'm going to go back to that home church, I, I would encourage you to join this fellowship. Devote yourselves uh, to this, this place. It's part of um, what Christ uses to form you as his disciple. You, you see this, so like Acts 2.47, Luke describes what's happening here. It says, praising God, having favor with all the people. And then catch this, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So he's saying everyone who's added to their number has been saved by God. So he's saying those that make up that church fellowship are, have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. They believed in the gospel. They've ex- exercised saving faith. They're saved, and now they're added to the church. So there's no, like, nominal Christian. There's no one in there that's just Christian-ish. They're, they're not believing in churchianity, right? They're, they're believing in Christianity. And because of that, they've been converted. The Spirit has filled them. They are added to that number. We also notice that no one who's saved is not in that number. There's no Lone Ranger saved person that's just kind of doing their own thing and just doing church on their own. Just listen to the podcast, all my favorite preachers and my worship music. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with doing that. But if that's what you think is being a part of of Christ's church, you're you're sadly mistaken. He's, He's calling us to be added to the local expression of his church. But what do you do if you are part of that local expression? Well, in Acts 2.42, it gives us four more practices. So the first one was mission, second one, and following. Here, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So we see another practice here. We see the apostles' teaching. Uh, why do they make that so primary? Right? Why, why immediately they've got these new converts, they're all fired up. Why not say, let's go do some community service? Right? Now they end up doing some serving of people. But, but what they make primary is this, this teaching thing. Now why? Why do they do that? Well, Jesus told them to do that. So Acts 20, or Matthew 28, after he tells them to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it says also teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So they've been told by Jesus, on your to-do list, you preach the gospel, you baptize the converts, you start teaching them. You start teaching them. Now, why would he say that? Why would that be so important? Well, the, the reason is, is because people cannot be reconciled to God, right? Sinners cannot be reconciled to God unless they hear the message of the gospel, so teaching is, is, is paramount, but also those that are already Christians grow in gospel grace as they hear the teaching of the gospel. You never outgrow your need for gospel truth, which is why we come in here week in, week out, week in, week out. That's why we have small groups. That's why we meet together. It, it's because we need this ongoing teaching ministry. And that's not the only thing we do, but it is, it is a primary thing that the church is doing, this teaching. Now for us, the apostles' teaching is... Uh, it, it's the New Testament. It's, it's, it's the teaching of Scripture. And so week in, week out, we're going to teach this Bible. We're going to teach this Bible. This is why 
You know, when you come here and, and this, we, we do the sermon, I don't spend like 25 minutes doing a stand-up routine telling some cool stories. Like, like we dig in. I, partly I'm not that funny, okay? So it would be pretty much a waste for me to try to do a stand-up. But more importantly, it's because I know the teaching of this Bible is, is what is going to cause you to experience growth in Christ, right? So if you come to a small group, we're going to talk about the Bible. Not, not the only thing we do. There'll be some other things. We're going to talk about the Bible. You come to a leadership meeting, we're going to talk about the Bible. It's not the only thing we'll do that in that meeting, but we're going to talk about staff meetings, going to talk about the Bible. If you come to, to me or, or one other staff for counseling, for encouragement, we're going to talk to you about the Bible because we believe that, that this, this teaching, this truth, is, is part of what is going to cause you to grow in the grace of the gospel. The next devotion is the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, this word that's uh, translated fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. If you know any Greek word, you probably know this word. Right? This is a, on my, the five words I know that are Greek. This is one of the ones I know. The root of the, that word means common. means common. And what it means is you're holding life in common with one another. You're sharing material wealth. You're mutually building one another up in emotional support. You're mutually building one another up in spiritual support. Right? This, this is this unique community that has its own unique word to describe it of, of koinonia. This is not just a group of friends that happen to have an affinity for each other and they like to hang out. Now, that can happen in the church, obviously. You can have good friends that you have an affinity for and you have a lot of fun together. We had a lot of fun at the Burley Man Retreat. A lot of crazy games. If you saw our Insta story, you were probably thinking, what are they doing, right? We're having a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And, that, and that, that can be part of it. But it's more than that, right? Sometimes we, we'll call, say that the church is a covenant community. This is a community that you're devoting to out of obedience to Jesus. Again, it's not you're, you're joining it like, a, like a, a country club where you're like, I like the amenities. I like the golf course. The pool's nice. I think I'll start giving money to this country club. It's, that's not what we're doing here. Christ has, has commanded his disciples to, 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 to join the local expression of his church. And so we devote ourselves to the covenant community of the church. It's more like the fellowship of the ring. That's like more like the fellowship of, of the church. These guys don't like each other, at least not at first. Different backgrounds, cultures, languages. Like they, they wouldn't have gone to a party together to have fun together. They wouldn't have done it. But there was something bigger that was drawing their fellowship together, and that was, of course, the necessity to destroy the ring of power, right? Now, for us, we, we have something greater than just the cultural bonding agent that draws us together as a fellowship. It's not some you know, ring of evil. Uh, it's described in this verse here, 1 John 1, 3. I love this verse. Uh, it says, That which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is a powerful verse. He's saying the supra-cultural gospel that we preach to you, right, 
And, 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 and he, he's saying, we've seen and heard, so he's got some apostolic authority there. He's saying, we're preaching that to you because we want to have fellowship with you. That, that if you become a Christian out of putting saving faith in the gospel, we now have a unique fellowship, a koinonia with one another. But not only that, we also have a fellowship with God the Father and His Son. He doesn't mention the Spirit, but the Spirit's involved there too. This is a cosmic community where we have fellowship with God through our faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and with one another and, and with folks that we probably wouldn't have chosen if we were just looking for an affinity group. Right? You've heard birds of a feather fly together. That little phrase, like, yeah, people that are like each other, they like to hang out with each other, they feel comfortable with each other. That is not the church. The church ha- has a bonding agent of the gospel, right, of the, the spirit that bonds us together in such a way that we experience a fellowship that's actually deeper than cultural bonding or even familial bonding. I can say that over the last year, I have shared a much sweeter fellowship with brothers and sisters who are Chinese, Taiwanese, South Korean, Rwandan, than I have with any unbelieving white American folks. Because there's something beyond culture that bonds us together in the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean it's not hard. There are still cultural obstacles and things that are difficult, right? We're, we're still fallen human beings, and, and, and there's some challenges that, that we face to, to be fellowship with each other. And this is why it requires an intentional decision. This is why if you're just like thinking, well, it'll probably happen. I'll probably bump into some brothers and sisters in Christ that are different than me. and Actually, it's probably not going to happen. You're going to have to intentionally say, I'm going to devote myself to this particular local body. If not this local body, some other local body. But a local body of Christ, the church, that then sets up the platform for you to then experience this kind of koinonia that we're describing. Number, uh, the, the third one there in Acts 2.42 is the breaking of bread. uh, Talking about communion. This, one of the simple ordinances, uh, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, or communion being the the two ordinances that Jesus has commanded His church to do over and over and over and over again. That communion uh, is a reminder that uh, we sinners, because of the cross, have now been saved by grace, reconciled with God. In the ancient world, if you ate a meal with someone, you were communicating acceptance. So when we're taking the bread in the cup, we're eating a meal with God. And we're experiencing this sign, visible sign of this invisible reality that we are right with God. Not because of something we did, but because of something Jesus did that we trusted in by faith. But not only do we do, take communion to, re, to, to, to remember our reconciliation with God, but with each other. We're, we're, we're in fellowship with each other. You don't take communion by yourself either. If you're at home and you get up on a Saturday morning like, I'm going to take a little communion together with me and Jesus. Don't do that. that that's, that's not how it's designed. 
Jesus commanded them to do it. This is why they devoted themselves to it. Places like Luke 22 says he took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they'd eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He institutes that in community. He talks about covenant, which is community kind of language. And it's incredibly important on so many, so many levels. I think every Sunday, I think we see another little facet of some of the truth that's contained in this very simple, simple ritual. But some of the things that we're reminded of, that Christ actually had a real human body. He had real flesh and blood. He died a real death. We remember that that death had to be died because of sin, right? We say that, that, that the cup, it reminds us of the covenant of his blood shed for you, for your sins to be forgiven, right? We're reminded of the need for Christ's death for sin. It's a reminder that, that Christ is redeeming a material world, that he became a real flesh and blood human, we're not Gnostics, right? Where we're like, oh, material world bad, spiritual world good, and if I could just escape this horrible spirit, uh, material world, I could become this, this spiritual nothing, right? That is not Christianity. Christianity says, no, 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 material world is good. It was created by God. He said it was good. That's how we know it's good. Now, it's tainted by sin, but Jesus is coming back, and he's going to redeem not just our souls, although that's included, but our bodies and this world. And we're reminded of that every time we come to this table to take the bread and the cup. It also, just simply stated, it just keeps us centered on Jesus. It just takes us back again and again and again. The way that we started taking it every week, you know, not every church takes it every week, but uh, I was preaching through the book of James, and James can tend to be kind of do this, don't do that, and there's gospel in there, but sometimes it's a little hard to, to, to find it. And so I decided, let's just do communion every week that I'm preaching on James. That'll, that'll keep us focused on Jesus, keep us focused on the cross. So we did it all semester. And it was such an incredibly meaningful experience with Jesus that we decided, let's keep doing this. Right? It wasn't like, oh, this got so old, just doing this thing every week. No, Jesus is like showing up in the midst of it. And I don't understand all that, and I can't explain it all. I just know that God has used the taking of the bread and cup on a weekly basis to spiritually form us as disciples and as a community. And so this is one of the devotions of the ancient church. The, the final devotion there in Acts 2.42 is devotion to prayer. Almost goes without saying, Old Testament people of God, prayed. The New Testament people of God uh, prayed. They even prayed before the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They're praying. Why'd they pray? Jesus taught them to pray. He taught them to pray. A lot of places. Here's one. John 14, he says, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. That doesn't get you going, right? This is him telling these disciples, look, you're going to do greater things than you've seen up to this point. 
And how are you going to pull that off? Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so he's, he's teaching them, you, if, if you want to see me do work, you need to pray. You need to pray. And you, he says, ask in my name. That's not like some sort of a, a, a magical you know, word, sort of hocus pocus that you can say and then you get what you want kind of thing. He's saying it's through the crucified Christ, the belief in, in Christ that you have access to the Father. You can actually pray to the Father. And it releases his work, his kingdom advancement in the church and in the world as the church is mobilized on mission. Uh, we pray more as a church than we ever have before. And we certainly can pray more. But th- there have been several opportunities that now are part of the rhythm of just what we do. So one is the prayer cards on your seats. Folks are, are, are putting down prayer requests. 50 plus people get emails each week to, and they pray over those, those cards. Um, I would encourage you if you have things that need prayer, put it on the card. If, if you feel called to be a part of that and pray for others, you can indicate on that card that you want to be a part uh, of that prayer ministry. There are folks that meet in this prayer room right here to my left before each of the services, and they, they pray for this service. They pray for the 915 service, and asking God to work. You don't just assume we just click the lights on, open the Bible, I guess God's going to work. No, we pray. We pray. We ask God uh, to release His power into this place. We, every month we have a 24-hour uh, prayer vigil where you can sign up on uh, a spreadsheet that uh, takes it's like 15-minute increments or 30-minute increments or longer than that if you want. And we have folks that are, that are praying all during this 24-hour period. Uh, and so some folks are getting up at 3 a.m. to pray. Some folks are, are staying up late at night to pray. But, but it gets the 24 hours covered. And we're praying for our church. We're praying for our mission, praying for various things uh, when we do that, we are we will be praying here this Thursday at five thirty. We'll be over there in the office building across the the driveway there, and we'll be gathering uh, to pray. Why are we doing that? Because that's what the Bible teaches us: that we, as a fellowship, are devoting ourselves uh, to prayer, corporate prayer. Now, the way we summarize these five practices in our church, we call them the five devotions, and so. It comes from Acts 1.8 and Acts 2.42. So you see the Acts 1.8 mission of making more disciples, right? of, of, of preaching that gospel and baptizing those new converts. But then those new converts are, are and, and old converts are gathered in community and they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, which for us is the, the, the reading and application, study, teaching, scripture, and devoting ourselves to, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Uh, we do that every week. I think this also points just to corporate worship in a way. That's why you see the word worship there. And then we devote ourselves uh, to prayer. Again, ordinary stuff. But when it's centered on Christ, it's empowered by the Spirit. Somehow these ordinary means become a, a way that God does an extraordinary thing called the church. And he's been doing it for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Now, the fruit of those practices done in a Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered way, we read about in Acts 2, 43 through 47. Uh, I want to read through this because this is the church I want to be a part of right here. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. 
and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Sign me up. Sign me up for that church right there. In 1998, when we were considering coming here and praying about church planting, and I didn't even have a book on church planting. I didn't know how to plant a church, so I'm just reading through the book of Acts. And I'm looking at passages like that, and I'm praying over those passages. I'm saying, God, would you raise up a church that looks like this? And what you see there, you see this vertical fruit of awe of God and joy in the gospel. You see this... Uh, this, this communal, this horizontal fruit of this uh, koinonia, this, this sharing of life together, material, spiritual, emotional support of one another. And you see missional fruit, whereby the Lord is adding to their number. That, that first Pentecost sermon was, was not the end of their mission. Their mission was ongoing, and people were adding to the number daily, those are being saved. This is the church that we want to be, that we want to become. It's what, why we call ourselves Mercy House, right? The household of faith. We want to be a family. We want to be a community. But not only that, we want to be a household that's being built, that those inside the house are maturing, but those that are outside are adding to the number daily. Please, Jesus. That, that new converts are coming in. They're being baptized. They're, they're joining that number. And that is focused on the gospel, that it is by the mercy of God, that it's not by some strategy, some marketing, uh, some, some stand-up routine by the pastor. Like, like it is because of the mercy of God, the gospel that's being preached, it's being talked about, it's being taught. This is the church we want to be. We want to be a mercy house. So we are that church, and we're becoming that church. I don't think God's done with us. I mean, I'm encouraged that I've been able to see the the church grow from a couple of families in my living room to what it is today with many, many, many other folks that are alums that are kind of always part of our our church. But I don't don't think he's done. I I think he's ushering us into a, a new season of even greater fruitfulness as a church, and you're part of that. You're part of that. That those of you that have joined Jesus are, are being called to join the local church. And again, if not this church, another Bible teaching, spirit-led church. But don't miss out on what it means to devote yourself, not just to a few buddies in, in campus ministry, although we love campus ministry and we see it as hugely valuable, but to devote yourself to the local church. And it's through that that Christ will form you. And there will be hard days and there will be difficult times and there will be joys and sorrows, but, but Christ will form you to be more like Him. And it will contribute to the advancement of the kingdom of God on these campuses and in this valley and beyond as we send people out on short term, but also just through graduation people leaving and then planting their lives in places literally all over the globe. So how to respond to this? So one, if you're not a Christian, repent and be baptized. 
Repent and be baptized. Turn away from your sin and run to the Savior this morning. Receive forgiveness that's only available through faith in what Christ did on the cross. And then profess that new faith through baptism. If you want to do that here, then you need to come to Meet Mercy House class. This Saturday is one. Next, uh, April 14th, Saturday, April 14th is the second one this semester. And so if, if you are at a place where you're like, I, I, I want to profess my faith, I want to step into this community, then I want to encourage you uh, to do that. For others, I want to encourage you, if you've already joined Jesus, maybe you have been in another church and you've come to faith, you've been baptized by immersion, and you're, you're, you're just kind of floating I want to encourage you to devote yourself to this fellowship. And sort of the organizational way that that happens is, is you come to meet Mercy House. We hear about your story, your testimony, and, and you join through, through that uh, time of gathering at Meet Mercy House. So I encourage you to do that. For those of you that are already members of the church, this is a good refresher. It's a good refresher that this is what you're devoted to. These five things are the basics of what it means to be devoted, a devoted member of the church. We will reaffirm our church covenant next Sunday, both services. And it's basically that we believe the gospel and we're committed to these five devotions. And so every, every year in February, we have our members sign that covenant. There's some copies there in the back. And so you, you sign that to kind of re-up your membership. And then in the services, we'll actually stand and we'll reaffirm that covenant, but it's a good, just a good refresher, good reminder. Here's what we signed on for, because these are the practices that Christ gave His early disciples that were carried on through the last two thousand years, and through these ordinary things in the lives of ordinary people, He does extraordinary things, supernatural things, both informing Christ in us, but also changing the world through the demonstration and proclamation of the gospel. We're reminded of those realities when we come to this table. You think about this. When Jesus was with his disciples the night he instituted this for them, the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body given for you all. Right? It's plural. It's not you, 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 personal Lord and Savior kind of talk. It's covenant community kind of talk right and then he says he takes the cup and he blesses it gives thanks for it he says this cup is the new covenant that that's community talk right and he says this covenant is in my blood right that he shed his blood not not just to personally save you that is included but he shed his blood to create a covenant community known as the church and so as we come together, we're reminded of, of that reality. That we have been reconciled to God through Christ. We've been reconciled to one another in Christ. And that it is this koinonia, this community, that Christ has, has died for, that Christ is advancing on mission in order to get the gospel to the nations. And so if, if you've joined Jesus in faith whether that was five minutes ago or you have been a Christian for a month or a year or a while, we encourage you to come and be a part of his table. If you are here and you're beginning to investigate the faith and you know you're not a Christian, 
We're going to encourage you to stay in your seat during this time and pray. Think about what you're hearing. Uh, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad or put, 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 make you feel like you're, uh, you know, you're less than. I, but I do say that because I'm communicating a cosmic reality in this room. And that those in this room who, ha- who know Christ have been added to the number that is the cosmic church that needs to be expressed in the local church. And we are beckoning to you, come and become a part of that number. Not like a country club, not like some sort of student organization, but the people of God. The people of God that Christ has died for. So again, trust in Christ today for maybe the very first time. And if you've already become a Christ follower, to join into the local expression of the church, which we're reminded of as we take the bread and we take the cup. So let's pray. You are a good father who loves your kids and have, have created a family at a high cost to yourself. And you have brought us together. What a motley crew we are. All kinds of backgrounds and experiences different age groups, but God, you are always in the process of forming us into a more perfect union. And we know that union comes about by the grace of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. So Lord, as we take this bread and we take this cup and we remember these realities that are unseen, God, would would you join us together in even greater ways, both to you personally, but also to one another in community. God, thank you for these realities that we get to live in day in and day out. Remind us of how much of a treasure it is that we get to live this out on a day-to-day basis, and that it continues throughout eternity. Please bless the bread and the cup and our time together with you and one another, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.